At all four of our campuses, we are preaching through the Bible. And this morning, we find ourselves in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we have three messages we'll be sharing from the book of Ecclesiastes, then two from the Song of Solomon, and then it is Easter. <laughs> Isn't that great? So... <clears throat> Our series is titled, From Ecclesiastes Eclipsed, Finding Meaning in the Desert. Ecclesiastes is blunt honest about the bewildering enigmas of life. It contains the deep thoughts of an old man who is wrestling with hard questions, and he's investigating what life has given and what it has to offer, and he's reaching the conclusion that all is humdrum under the sun. Isn't that exciting? You guys, aren't you happy to be here this morning? <laughs> this old man was Solomon. Uh, it doesn't exactly tell us that his name is Solomon, uh, but it does say in the very first verse, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And likewise in verse 2, 12, it says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So it's not explicitly saying it was Solomon, but all the details and the descriptions of wealth and fame and this man who's searching for wisdom all fit the profile of the king of uh, Jerusalem, the king Solomon. It may not be, but I'm not going to spend any time trying to decide Solomon fits the profile well for me. So, but it's commonly thought within both Jewish and Christian traditions that Solomon wrote three books of the Bible. He wrote the Song of Solomon, he wrote Proverbs, and he wrote Ecclesiastes. And the thought is, is that uh, he wrote the Song of Solomon when he was a young man, that he wrote Proverbs when he was a middle-aged man, and he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was an older man. And so the book of Ecclesiastes starts with this observation or this conclusion. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Can you imagine just thinking about how maybe you signed up one day at a major university for a class that uh, you had received information on where this greatest teacher in the entire world, the wisest man who ever lived, was going to give a class on the subject of wisdom and what is the meaning of life. And you signed up for that class, and you're so excited, and you come to that class. And the very first day, you're sitting in the front row. You can't wait. You've got notepads and pens, and you're ready to take volumes of notes from this greatest man of wisdom around the world. And he opens up the class by saying, vanity of vanities, it all is a vanity. <laughs> How disappointing would that be, right? That this is wisdom, this is the meaning of life. And as I was studying for this message from Ecclesiastes this week, I found myself asking God to give me a faith that will not expire in old age. I want to finish strong. And it made me think about faith, that there's really no expiration date to faith. 
The book of Ecclesiastes helps us to know how to finish well. I don't want my faith to expire in old age, do you? There's no expiration to date, doesn't have to be. And as our bodies weaken, the Bible tells us that our faith can get stronger. It's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4.16 when he said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And it's like he said, the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life, he said, the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I love those words. I love that optimism that as we get older our faith can get stronger and I want a faith that does not expire in old age and when I read Ecclesiastes it makes us wonder about Solomon did he drift as he got older Uh, it makes us wonder did he lose his faith in old age for it says in first Kings chapter 11 verse 4 that as he got older, it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives, these were women that he took in marriage because of political alliances, which is the way they did things in those days in order to gain power and favor in making political alliances, they took wives. And these foreign wives turned his hearts after other gods. And remember, the Hebrews were forewarned about that, that they were told not to take foreign wives, but he took foreign wives, and as a result, they turned his heart away from God to the other gods of the other nations, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. And so did Solomon struggle with his faith? It's one of the questions we ask as we open up Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon calls himself out for drifting. Listen to his self-analysis in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to read a long um, passage here in Ecclesiastes 2 because it gives us a sense of where his thinking is at as we approach and look at the message of Ecclesiastes. So he said, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens, I made parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women. Others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. 
Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I, the king? I thought, wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness, for the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I don't know whether Solomon's faith expired in old age or not, but I think it's safe to say he had struggles. And I'll let Josh answer that question next week. <clears throat> but as I opened up Ecclesiastes to start reading the musings of this old king, who, a man who had it all, who gained it all. It does remind me that we also have our own vulnerabilities to question things and to wonder why. And it leads us to ask God to give us a faith that does not expire as we experience more and more of life. I want to finish strong, and I want to encourage you to finish strong. So before I dive into the message of Ecclesiastes, I just want to say a word about keeping the faith in old age. The faith of older Christians is never beyond attack. Don't ever look at older Christians and think, well, they don't need prayer. They're just sliding into the finish line. They're going to make it. The attack continues on all of our lives until the day that we die, and it never lets up. It never gives up. I remember my college professor, Dr. Ed Palm, telling us that attacks on our faith never stop as we get older. And he described his own personal story about how they just get different. Satan just changes his tactics. He has many devices and he is always at work trying to discourage us and to tell us to give up and to stop running the race the good race of faith. But the best way to prepare for old age, I think, is to develop this spiritual muscle of faith. That this muscle that where we learn to respond to life's situations as they come at us by saying, I, I, cannot, I cannot fight this battle alone. I need the Lord's help. I need him to go through this struggle with me. Temptation to doubt comes at us from different sources. There are three sources of temptation. The Bible says it comes at us from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. 
Job, for example, took a direct hit on his faith when the devil attacked him with pain and with loss. Let's just eliminate everything from his life and see whether he's going to believe in God and trust God then. Solomon was different. In his old age, he had to wrestle with wealth and how wealth brought emptiness to his heart. It did not fulfill his expectations. It didn't satisfy him. His faith looked for something more because he couldn't find significance in the accumulation of pleasure and wealth and fame. So in his old age, Solomon is this man who we see relentlessly probing and searching and exploring into questions that most of us would hesitate to push too far to go into. He goes so deep into some dark places that it's easy just to dismiss him as a cynic or a skeptic or a pessimist, but he's, I don't believe he's any of those. I believe he's building a case in Ecclesiastes for our need of God. He's seeing how far a man will get with no faith foundation in the Lord. He's looking at the world through the eyes of a humanist or a secularist or someone who only looks at life below the sun, never looking above the sun. So let's look at the message of Ecclesiastes. Why is it included in the Bible? The book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is a life journal of this elderly man who I believe was Solomon, who was searching for meaning under the sun. And it begins in Ecclesiastes 1.1, as I said, these are the words of the preacher. Now Solomon self-describes himself. In the ESV, it's translated as the preacher. The Hebrew word is the word koheleth, uh, pronounced Kohelet. The word means one who gathers or one who assembles or one who collects all these pieces of wisdom. Some version translates this word Kohelet as the preacher, some the teacher, some the professor. But I, I've, I like to think of it as the searcher because the word e- Ecclesiastes itself means to assemble. It's like in the New Testament, the word for church is ecclesia, which means the assembly, the people who assemble. So Ecclesiastes is, is the, the assemblance or the collection of wise saying or wisdoms. And so I see Solomon, uh, when he describes himself, or whoever the author is, when he describes himself as Kohelet, the Hebrew word, I think means the searcher. Or you could think of it as the preacher or the teacher or the professor. But it means that he, here's a man who has spent his entire life turning over every stone to find wisdom. He sat for long hours in front of his beehives to consider What is the meaning of life? (laughs) He's examined all the evidence, looked at the eagle circling in the sky, trying to arrive at a hypothesis, hypothesis, there we go, about what gives meaning to life under the sun. What is the point of life? 
What do we gain from all of our toil and all of our work and all of our striving? And the searcher states the question right there at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes. The words of the searcher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the searcher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The question is, what is the significance in this? So to all of his tests, Kohelet applied one consistent restriction that he gave himself. Of all of these observations that he made, they would be scrutinized under one limitation, that he would only look for the answers to the meaning of life under the sun. That was his restriction. He limited his experiments to what could be experienced on earth under the sun. That means as a philosopher that he decided to do an experiment to search for the meaning of life by taking God out of the equation. He confined his sight only to the world around him. He would limit his look to the earth, to the natural. He would only look down, not up to heaven. He only allows for the realm of the seen and not the unseen realm to define meaning and purpose for him. Ecclesiastes takes a look then at the meaning of human existence by eliminating the supernatural, that we only live in a natural world. Ecclesiastes is kind of like looking at a snow globe and studying what happens inside this little globe to discover what ultimate reality is. And the only reality as we look into this snow globe that we're permitted to see is what we see in that little sphere. We're not allowed to know that there was ever a personal designer who created it and put it together. We're not allowed to know that there's someone who holds it as a great treasure and cherishes it as their most prized possession, loving to see what they see. Ecclesiastes takes us on a journey that forces us to wrestle with this worldview that assumes that God is not a part of our life. What do we have then? What good is life? What's the significance and meaning of life? in that case, and it views life through the lens of a humanist or a nihilist or a hedonist or a materialist. Kohelet, the preacher, the searcher, the professor, says, okay, let's, let's do an experiment. Let's take God out of the equation. Let's start with the assumption that we can enjoy life and find deep satisfaction by removing God from our life. If we take God out of our life, will life bring us true happiness? Will it bring us true meaning, true fulfillment? Will we find true significance by giving our heart only to the natural world around us? It's not that the natural world is bad or evil, 
God created the natural world. And he said, hmm, that's good. <laughs> it's not like he doesn't like the natural world. It's that we're finding or looking for in the natural world what can only be filled by God in our heart. And so the message of Ecclesiastes is when we kick God out of our life, we're left with an empty, hopeless, bleak outlook on life. It's all humdrum and no hallelujah under the sun. It's vanity of vanities. It's like chasing after the wind. And it's easy to see that Ecclesiastes is the most philosophical book in the Bible, but Ecclesiastes is more than merely a book of philosophy. I believe it's a biography. It's When we open its pages, we're reading a person's very, very personal diary. We open it up and we're shocked to read these raw thoughts of a wise old man at the end of his life. These are words we need to listen to. It's a man who has seen life. He's seen it all. And he's got something to tell us. Because the entire world was handed to Solomon. It was his laboratory of discovery to discover meaning and significance and satisfaction. And he ran his experiments with everything everything. He had everything. He tasted everything. He tried everything. He tested everything. But everything, he says, everything, everything, everything under the sun was ho-hum and humdrum. He never found hallelujah in the natural world. So we can think about it this way. Here's a man at the end of his life who's telling us his story. He said, I took every cruise. I feasted in all the finest restaurants in the world. I successively hunted big game on every continent. Let me show you the pictures of the biggest fish I caught in every body of water around the world. Let me show you my personal collection of every Starbucks coffee cup that they ever made. <laughs> I've been there. I've had it. I've attended every Super Bowl, every World Cup, every Stanley Cup, every Olympic game. I've drank my nights away in the best bars in the world. I've danced and dined with the rich and the famous. There wasn't a luxury, there wasn't a mirth that escaped my indulgence. And we read it all here in this man's personal biography, his journal. It's all there. There's this long checklist of the world's best commodities. He had it all. He had power. He had prestige. He had pleasure. And the first chapters of Ecclesiastes describe it for us. There's his explorations into pleasure. There's his impressive accomplishments. There's his unparalleled wealth. And the book of Job is this biography of a man. The book of Job, in comparison to Solomon, is the biography of a man who lost it all. But the book of Ecclesiastes is the biography of a man who gained it all. And Job tells us a man who kept his faith when he lost it all. The question of Ecclesiastes is, uh, will this man keep his faith when he gained it all? Both have their struggles, right? 
Jesus said, what shall a man give if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? He says, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel going through the eye of a needle. So there's a challenge to the wealth, the honor, the prestige, and the pleasure of this world. There's a challenge to our faith. And we read as he goes down the checklist of all that he had, one by one, entering this conclusion into his journal, vanity, all is vanity. He hasn't found a single thing, he means, that has ultimately, ultimately has the capacity to satisfy the cravings of a man's soul. Everything left him asking, really, is this all there is to life? Everything is humdrum under the sun. Everything left him empty. Nothing filled him up. Everything left him searching. There's something more. There's something more. Where's the hallelujah? There's got to be a hallelujah in life. Where do I find hallelujah to replace my humdrum? So what's the purpose of this spiritual diary Is it just the sad ramblings of a disillusioned old man? Or is it actually profound wisdom? I believe the purpose of Ecclesiastes is to say life is pointless unless we look beyond the sun. Unless we look above the sun for answers, everything will be vain. When our youngest son, Blaine, was in high school, he worked at the VCA Animal Hospital in Eagle River. And he was so excited to have his first job, earning some money where he could buy whatever he wanted. And the first thing he wanted to purchase with the money that he earned from his new job was a camera. And he's become a very good photographer. He's an engineer but also on the side, he does wedding photography. He's a great photographer. But I watched him. Here is in his teenage years as he studied cameras. He did the research. He thought about cameras. He went and looked at cameras. He was so excited about finally having enough money to get his dream camera. And it was a nice camera. And I remember three or four days after he brought it home and was, in, was enjoying using it, I went into his bedroom and I asked him, how, you, how do you like your camera? And his answer was profound. It was full of wisdom. He said, Dad, I was so excited about getting a camera, it actually became very distracting to me. It consumed my thoughts all the time. But you know what's interesting is that now that I have it, I kind of feel disappointed. I kind of feel let down, like, like it didn't give me the joy that it was offering to give me. It's a great camera. It does everything that I expect it to do, but it doesn't give me happiness. Pretty good for a young man, right? And that's what Ecclesiastes means when it says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The word vanity is repeated 37 times in Ecclesiastes, which it doesn't mean pride as we normally use vanity, but it means emptiness. It means futility. It means meaninglessness. It literally means in the Hebrew vapor or breath. It's just empty. 
It's just locking. It's locking. It's locking what we're created to have. And it describes the futile emptiness of trying to enjoy life apart from God. It's not like, and I think Josh will talk more about this next week, that it's not like enjoying the world is wrong. We're we're, we're here to enjoy the world. It's just recognizing there's something above the sun that you're going to (laughs) love. And so in conclusion, the question for everyone to consider today is, are you chasing after what is under the sun or are you also going after what is above the sun? Can life under the sun ever have meaning unless we look up above the sun? As I was thinking about this, thinking about what I said a week or two ago about when Jesus prayed, over and over in the Gospels it says that when Jesus prayed, he looked up to heaven. And I always found that curious, like, are we required to do that? Do we have to look up when we pray? Like, why did the Lord Jesus look up to heaven? Maybe it's as simple as acknowledgement of, uh, of that heavenward relationship that we are to have as we pray into the affairs that are happening here on earth under the sun. He's acknowledging God and being attentive to God. And life is empty without God. It's all humdrum under the sun. So if ultimate reality is only what exists under the sun, then there's only one conclusion. And Kohelet says, if today is all we've got, then simply enjoy your work, enjoy your food, before your lives are done because the satisfaction, the significance you get from those things will be all you have and you'll find it to be empty, like a vapor, devoid of bringing the deep happiness that we're created to enjoy. And there's simply no meaning or purpose to be found in these things if you're only looking under the sun that's all there is if there's no reality above the sun. So, everybody happy in Jesus? <laughs> Next week, Pastor Josh is going to tell us how to find the hallelujah in life. It doesn't have to be ho-hum or humdrum. And so this helps us explain how we are to live in life. The book of Uh, The Song of Solomon expresses that uh, this faith that this world was created for relationship and for love, and it works by love. Proverbs tells us how God made the world to work, but Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes tells us that the world won't work without God. Our hearts are made to worship. And nothing under the sun is worthy of our worship. Nothing under the sun fills that craving for worship except the Lord. Father, thank you for this word of wisdom from Ecclesiastes. And I pray that you would apply it to your heart, our hearts, in very practical ways to realign our affections upon you. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.